1: Ladies and gentlemen, you're very welcome back to the show where we have a very special guest for you. Uh, uh, her name is, I'm not going to tell you her name because we might use this recording, but welcome to the show, little girl. How are you today? Are you talking? You have to talk into the microphone. because nobody. Hello. What? How- so tell-, tell me, how are you today? Hello, how are you? Did you have a good day today? Can you tell us what did you have? So if you nod, they can't. <laughs> they can't hear if you nod. But tell tell us on the show. Tell into the microphone. What did <laughs> you have? What did you have for lunch today? Tell <laughs> us what.
2: Fast tally
1: cat. You what? Beef. You ha- into the microphone so you can hear. What did you have? The, uh, what did you have? Daffold. Daffold? What's default?
2: Chicken beef.
1: Oh, you had beef. Did you have beef for your lunch? Oh,
2: look, the nurse has.
1: Yeah, they that goes up and down when you talk into the microphone yes
2: stephen go
1: stephen what okay mama. so keep 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 <laughs> go,
2: mama.
1: oh do mama. hello uh, hello mama how are you today hi dada i'm good and you i'm very well thank you we have a very special guest on the show today we're just wondering what she had for her lunch let's see if you can tell us what what did you have for your for your lunch today young lady Say say it loud. K-O. You had kaju, that was very loud. Uh, so that for that, <laughs> don't eat it. And what? Did, so you had cheese. <gasps> what else did you have with the cheese?
2: El- raining. Go, mommy, mama. mama, Place the key and place the
1: soup. Yeah, but that means you're not on the show now. If you're giving it to mommy, oh, you're gonna pull it out of my ear. You know. Um, come back. You're not coming back. Come
2: ba- b- play my sound tools
1: Myself too. You want to do it louder? Ooh, 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 okay. That's working. No, don't touch the buttons, please. Do not touch the buttons. Do you hear me? Don't touch them, because then it stops. It. It won't work. Okay. Okay. So, what else? What? Well, tell us another story. <laughs> Follow. <laughs> She's pushing the microphone into her mummy's face and saying, "You do it, mummy. You do it." Okay. Let's. Ca- we have. We have. We have. You shush. Come back here. We have a quick. We have. <laughs> We have a quick question to ask. Get out of the box. Get out of the box. Come over here. We've got a quick question to ask you. Who does the biggest farts in the house? Who does the biggest farts in the house? Dada. No, that's not true Who told you that? Mummy! Mummy does, yeah. Oh, <laughs> mommy told you that. Oh Mummy told you <laughs> <laughs> okay, very smart. Okay.
2: Stupid.
1: Okay, so you've got your own house there. So, we're not doing the recording anymore, okay? Well, I'll turn this off now. Bye. 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 I love you. I love you. I love you more. You give Daddy a kiss on the microphone. Mm. <laughs> Bye. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, a very special guest, as you heard there. Um, Well, you know, she had been putting the request in for quite a while. Dada, I want to do the talking. I said, let's do it. Let's do a show. So we do. We do try from time to time. We have to edit out some expletives from time to time. But hey, we had fun. He got to meet my little one there. um, And... Yeah, all the crack. She, um, I know there's bits there, but you, well, a lot of you, especially all the all the English-speaking people, basically, who's everybody listening to the podcast, are going to think, well, she speaks a lot of gobbledygook. It's actually uh, Portuguese as well. So there's a lot of Portuguese coming out there, which I understand what she's saying in certain bits, and um, you mightn't. But there you go. Nice surprise for you. Welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. It's great to be alive. What a what a what a week we've had. It's been you know everybody's kicking off, you know, with the, uh, around the kicking off in Iran, kicking off in the US. But look, we're still here. We're still here making podcasts in the new year. Uh, thanks for all the messages for last week's show. It was great crack. I didn't get to do some social media promotion on it, but it was great to have Garold Farley back. And uh, what a laugh we had, and great analysis, I have to say, on on the fairy tale of New York and different things that are going on in society from, you know, meditation and blocking himself off from the news. It's a good idea. You know, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and have a listen to it and listen to the effects that not watching the news is having on Garo's life in a a positive way. You know, it's not a bad idea, is it, to switch ourselves off. It's all kicking off here in Ireland today um, with, uh, well, the last couple of days. If you're in the UK, you won't know anything about this. If you're in the US, you won't know anything about this. But there has been a, a suggestion of a commemoration service uh, for the royal irish constabulary the people who died from the royal irish constabulary which were also known as the black and tans which were a hugely controversial group of people who came over from england and scotland and uh there was a lot of listen i'm not going to get into it but if you watch a film called the wind that shakes the barley you'll see what the black and tans did and our um, ever progressive uh Taoiseach, our prime minister has decided to uh, do an old commemoration service for them. (laughs) And that, as you can imagine, has gone down like a fucking lead balloon in this country, let me tell you, from all sorts of politicians and councillors and mayors deciding to send letters to the Taoiseach and say, we're not going, we're boycotting this. And he's come out yesterday and said, well, this is very disappointing. Um, I think we should just remember everybody that died and everyone's like, fuck off, Leo. (laughs) We are. It's funny. It was so so progressive. Like you can bring in same sex marriage. You can bring in rights for women, so they they can have abortions in this country. But we are not going to fucking commemorate the fucking black and tanzie joke, me. It's mental. It is like as a historian friend of mine put it to me. He said it's like (laughs) it's like the French celebrating the Germans that got killed when they were invading France. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) It's like it's mental. But anyway, what can I say? We've an interesting episode coming up for you today. Because with that in mind, I did get a historian friend of mine onto the show who is doing a PhD on the relations between Ireland and England, and it's fascinating how complex it is. It's actually not as simple as you know what people are given out with the black and tans, and this particular week. But if you go back centuries, the relation between Ireland and England is way more complex than Irish people like to make out with their 800 years of oppression. Yeah, it wasn't always that way, believe it or not. So here we have Andrew Dorman on who's uh, come from UCD and he's going to um, he's doing a PhD uh, in the relations between both countries, specifically within the 1600s. And it's fascinating. He's got newspaper clippings. Um, of some of the stuff that was going on at that time, it's genuinely fascinating so I do hope you enjoy this segment of the show or this part of the show fascinating paper that was written on the Irish, inverted commas, slaves that went to the Caribbean and turns out that, well, slaves is actually the wrong word to be using in that situation so we look into that a little bit more and um, yeah, we cover all parts of Irish history. I do, ho- like, I found it fascinating and education for me personally. And if you're into your Irish history on any level, this is a fantastic podcast episode for you. So I do hope you enjoy it. Now, any other announcements? I can't really think of. I do have my calendar in front of me there. That would be a good idea, Stephen. Tell them what you're doing. Um, I hope you had a good new year, everybody. Uh, I genuinely, genuinely do struggle in January. I'm not going to lie to you, I just, the winter is a bit long for Steve-O, and um, am I, what's a seasonal, seasonal depression, is that what they call it? I don't know if we'll go that far, but it's just, you know, I probably do need the sun, and I was in Portugal, and it was a bit sunnier, but I got a fucking cold over there, would you believe that? And maybe, maybe there's also the controversy that I did not get my Christmas turkey this year, and I'm kind of feeling that I didn't really have a proper Christmas. But it's controversial to say in my house, Jesus, I mentioned it last night. She nearly tore the head off me. You have a different Christmas, just not the same fucking Christmas that you have every year. You need to be more open-minded. She's not Russian. (laughs) (laughs) But I got back gigging. And thanks to, um, I met loads of you guys actually at the International. I didn't even really... Advertise it much on um, the old social media, but a few of you came down to the international on Sunday night, and we had great fun. And you came over, and we had the chats. Shout out to Claire from Tyrone, listener to the show, big fan of me comedy. So shout out to Claire, who's always great crack. Who was very anti egg sandwiches. She made that clear. She had. <laughs> I enjoyed the show tonight, but the egg sandwiches—that is disgusting. <laughs> So thank you to Claire for coming out. Great crack. Lovely. It was my first show of the year in the International there on Sunday Pass. So it was great fun and um, genuinely had a a great time doing it and hanging out with Dave McSavage who was on as well and the wonderful Brian Gallagher who was on the podcast there recently enough as well. So it was, it was a fantastic uh, show. Son of a Preacher Man is going to go on tour this year, my one-hour show, and it's likely to be going to places like Limerick, and Clonmel, and where else? I don't remember. Anyway, dates to be decided soon. We're looking at springtime, really. April, that kind of a vibe, you know? Get out of this bloody darkness and um, let the spring come in, and then then I'll be be happy to be going out on the road again. But in the meantime, I'll be playing clubs all over the place in Ireland, and um, I'll be back in Belfast soon, and uh, Galway. Ah! Looking forward to it and getting back over to the UK as well. And I'm working on a few other exciting projects as well, which are kind of longer, how do you say, longer in the pan is not an expression. But, you know, they're just going to take longer to do so that when I do get it done, then I can tell you about it and it'll be fantastic stuff for you. But let's just say I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing a lot of writing And, as you know, I've already told you that I'm writing my second show that will go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in August. So, come the end of 2020, I'll have a brand new show to be touring. Son of a Preacher Man will be gone. Hallelujah! And I'll be touring a brand new other show. So, I think that's it, really. Yeah, Just keep up to date on the old social medias on the instagram hello Stevo, and thanks for the lovely messages i'm having great crack with you and I'm, I'm doing my best to to post them on the instagram stories and keep the conversation going if you haven't told anybody about this podcast and you and are, you are enjoying this podcast give it a share on social media tell somebody about the show if there's somebody you'd like to have on the show send me a message on social media at hello Stevo on instagram steven mullen comedy on facebook and um, yeah, get in touch and tell me tell me what you'd like to hear more of. And I think that is it. It's been I'm delighted to be back, as you can hear. I've, I've got good energy today, haven't I? Woo! I'm enjoying being back on the microphone. It's a fantastic episode today. Big, huge thank you to Andrew Dorman, who's also a comedian as well. Um, so And we've never actually gigged together. I don't, don't think we've been on the same lineup. We play comedians football together, but I don't think we've ever been on the same lineup together. So Andrew is a comedian. God damn it. I don't have his social media here on me to be able to say on the microphone, but I will put it in the uh, details for this show so you can follow him on Instagram as well. And uh, any feedback you have, because I have a feeling this is going to get the conversation going. But any questions, historian questions that you have about this uh, particular episode, feel free to give me a shout on HelloStevo on Instagram. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a fantastic show ahead of you. It's an educational show. We've lots to learn and lots of holes in the history of the Irish people that we didn't actually know about. So enjoy the wonderful, the educational Andrew Dorman. Yeah, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, and I am absolutely delighted, over the moon, to have my first uh, professor in the house. The
0: <laughs> <laughs> in America, <laughs> yeah. In, oh, are, you, are you
1: a professor in America? Oh, okay. I think
0: in America, I, I'd be considered an assistant professor, or okay, associate right?
1: Professor. So, what is your what is your official title in UCD?
0: Oh, um, that's a good question. I think just tutor. Okay, so just yeah, Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which I was going to say, like, you're, you're and tutor and resident goalkeeping extraordinaire, well, we have to say as well.
0: Well, one of those is true.
1: I mean, you've, <laughs> <laughs> you've definitely developed. Andrew organizes our uh, Comedians Five Side Football as well out in UCD, which is like, he's gone from, you know, a. Pe- being Packy Bonner, butter hands to like Edison of <laughs> Manchester City, I cannot, I literally couldn't score on you the last game that we played. Well, distribution's not as good, but I'll take it. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's it's important that you're a comedian as well. How does that, how do you find those uh, lives intertwining or are
0: they separate or do they overlap? Are they run in concerning parallel i guess the um comedy and academia are very much the same in terms of like competitiveness and people okay. trying to one-up one another oh really and that kind of thing uh, interesting so there's so many parallels and then in the, at the end of the day it's still live talking and trying to convey a message except in one case you're trying to make people laugh and the other you're trying to make them pass their exam <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it's like it's competitive in the staff room like that would it be or yeah, not even in the staff room but just I suppose across the entire field you know everyone's competing for a very small number of jobs or okay. good gigs okay. or um, you know they're all fighting for to publish in certain areas and yes. it's quite catty and everything like that yeah. so it's not as rosy cheeked as it might, <laughs> it might Is, seem you know
1: so it's uh, yeah I suppose from the outside it'd be hard to uh, yeah I, I'd never even thought of that so your goal as a tutor would be obviously to educate your students but you do want to get your work published at the same time.
0: Yeah, the tutoring stuff is sort of on the side like okay. I need a little bit of extra cash. The I suppose well, I'm I'm studying for my PhD at the moment and right. when I get that I'm sort of academic proper, but that does has no job guarantee. Okay. I, right. I'll have to you know try and find an open position in a university which was probably temporary, do that for a little bit, maybe I'll hop to another temporary position and maybe if I'm very lucky, look my way into a permanent job. But, yeah. The road ahead is not clear, and it's kind of concerning. <laughs> Which is
1: also a great crossovers with stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so tell me about you. You're 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 a, you're a history tutor. Yeah. Um. How did you, did you always know that? That's what you're going to do. Was this a, more of a thing that happened over the course of your secondary education, or
0: I I've always, always had an interest in history. Uh, my dad sort of fostered that in me. And okay. Um, is he in that world as well? Or? He's in the sciences. Right. But he's Massive bookshelves Full of <laughs> It's hard not to At least Have a passing interest
1: Okay so it's in It's, it's a big thing in the family Yeah exactly Right okay
0: So like, for example As a kid I wasn't sat down And put in front of Disney movies I was putting down In front of like 1970s war movies And that kind of thing Oh wow <laughs> Right so, okay uh, It was pretty indoctrinative. <laughs> okay okay and because your brother's in that world as well you were just telling me he's in cambridge yeah he's a scientist as well uh and my mum is too so i'm definitely oh my goodness
1: right. yeah. <laughs> oh you're the black sheep because you went into history
0: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> wow and so you were really stuck into it in secondary school as well yeah yeah my teacher in secondary school was enthusiastic um maybe not the best but he was very enthusiastic okay and um i knew i wanted to study it in college and i was lucky enough to be able to go um and i got my first choice in UCD, so I studied history and economics. And uh, after that, I thought, well, if if I'm able to keep doing this, I want to keep doing this and keep pursuing it and see where it goes. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. So
1: so you do, so how do you get into tutoring? Is that like you're just really good in your degree?
0: Well, a combination of that and then also limited supply of people able to do it, I suppose, they, UCD, although I'm not a student there, my PhD is in DCU. Oh but right I be- did not know that Because I'm sort of studying Because I studied rather In UCD They thought Okay yeah We're willing to take this guy on I've been doing it For the past few years And they I seem to get Relatively good results So they're happy enough To keep me on doing it Even though I'm not Technically a student More of a mercenary <laughs> Right <laughs> What is you Have you got a favourite
1: field In particular in history Throughout all your time of study And I know what you're doing Your PhD in But is there anything In particular that you like To focus on Or a favourite period of time
0: Yeah Um Really, um, mil- conflict and military history is always a big favourite of mine, but the 18th century in particular, uh, I find really interesting, I suppose, the early modern period, as it's known. Okay. Um, anything from early, or the mid-17th until about 1800, I think, is quite exciting. Uh, um, worldwide, or in any particular countries are Fairly Western-focused. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't say my knowledge of things like Indian history or anything is yes, particularly yeah, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a problem. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, particularly in where I work, are so focused on Ireland or the UK or Europe. They don't acknowledge the fact that you know very interesting things have happened or are yes. happening around the world. And the, very... there's a big world out there. Yeah, yeah we've got a really Euro-focused view of things, which yeah. is not good. <laughs> yeah, I was watching the the World War
1: Two in Color documentary on Netflix so there recently. Isn't it? It's so wow! Good. It's amazing, and because like I was, I was, I mean, I'm so hooked on it. But it's it's also I'm so um. I'm so ignorant to so much of the stuff that's happened, and especially with what happened with the U.S. and Japan and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then Japan invading China and like and everything that was going on with Philippines and all down. It's like wow, I had no idea and the Soviets versus the versus the Germans and how much the Germans took over.
0: Yeah, it was crazy and not that long ago. Like, yeah, this is. Like the World War Two is only what eighty years ago. Like, yeah, finished in forty-five. Yeah, yeah like, thank God I got that right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Immediately discredited. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, it is a global conflict, and people, you know, obviously what, what happened in Iran recently, like yeah. two days ago, yes, uh, not to date the podcast, uh, <laughs> but, but and people are joking, making jokes about World War Three, and they don't, don't think they really realize that World War does have a certain implication, you know?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Do you see it? Yeah, I mean, do you see that kicking? Off? I was reading a lot in the Irish Times about it and stuff, and it's definitely um, created tensions in the Middle East again. However, according to to the U.S., you know, they've been making Iran have been making these attacks on the Americans, and so it seems a little bit tit for tat at the moment. But they, but the Iranians are ready to kick off now. It seems.
0: Yeah, I suppose it, it's a massive escalation. I think. Yeah, like going going from you know sanctions or whatever to. To Blowing someone up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and targeting the leader as well. That's a biggie. Yeah. yeah. Someone who isn't, it's not even that he's like a leader of some rebel organization. Yeah. He's an appointed commander. Yes. Yeah. Like he is officially sort of a state representative, and you just blow him up. Yeah. It, it's a massive escalation. So. Mm. Well, who knows, maybe 40 years' time, there's going to be some really interesting history courses. I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you was something we were t- chatting
1: about before we got on, though, as well, that you were kind of, there's a concern of, like, that history, uh, your concern of history in secondary school education and how that is, it seems, it, it might be
0: not compulsory for the junior side anymore. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure of what it status is at the moment. I'm fairly sure recently there were talks of making it not compulsory or it was put through as not compulsory. I probably should know the specifics, but the fact that it's even in discussion is really concerning.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about about that? Because it is fascinating how... I know I've looked back on my life in particular and kind of uh, seen how my politics have... been informed through my growing up or my identity through my uh, different background that's not 100% Irish. And, and, and I look at and I look at my identity now with having like, um,
0: I'm with somebody from another country and all that kind of stuff. And all that identity comes from history, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And the fact, I think history informs so many of the, like the preconceptions we have and the certain like stereotypes we might associate with people. Um, and even as a comedian sure you know yourself if someone's in the crowd and you think oh they're German you can probably make a good you can probably have a pot at them for absolutely I did it last night (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly exactly. like they asked for it but no (laughs) yeah Yeah. so history informs all of that and to not have that formula baseline I think opens people up to misinformation Mm. and there's a real danger that you can be easily radicalized if you if you're not presented with just object facts yeah truth because if you don't understand the relationship between ireland and england for example Mm. and you're all you're told is 800 years of english oppression and all that and you don't understand that the various there was reasons why these things were happening and Mm. there was nuance to it and you just this has just forced down your throat about these 800 years or what have you you can end up with well, a real vi- hatred, Now, whether or not the hatred is justified, you know, fair yes, enough. But yeah. it's important to at least understand the background.
1: Absolutely, you got to understand the complexities of it and the different bits and pieces that that were going on. Which is, it's an interesting thing that's happening in the world right now. Is that you're seeing a lot of the rise of uh, right wing politicians of like that, but the, this propaganda machine or the propaganda machines that happen now through social media and, as you say, misinformation is quite scary. How people start to act. Um, and, you know, do things and protest or become, uh, you know, racial acts or, you know,
0: all this, all these kind of tensions that are happening. And it's a lot of misinformation. For sure, yeah. And especially with the, um, the people are willing to fact check one side vigorously. Yes. But as soon as it's anything that they would agree yeah. with, they're less likely to fact check it. Yes. Or they're less likely to maybe do a little bit of research because it fits what they want to say.
1: Fits their own narrative, yeah. Exactly.
0: So, striking a balance will be a little bit better, I think.
1: Yeah, and the problem with Google is that you can you can Google your your side of the argument till the cows come home, you know, and not Google the other side of it at Absolutely, all. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So we so you you sent me on this uh, fantastic piece there uh, recently, and we're going to chat about relations between um, the Irish and the English, but also the kind of it's kind of monk de myth busting actually is it called. Um, what was it? What was this? Uh, article written for do you know was it was in a magazine or was it yeah or? it was for a journal i think okay for a journal okay so it was written uh, this fantastic piece written by liam hogan laura mctackney and matthew riley and it was in response to a letter that was written to the irish times on the 7th of september 2015 by john grenham who um asked the question were the irish slaves in Barbados? And um, and he, and his his response with his article was to the affirmative essentially and he claimed that the irish were slaves in barbados now this um uh history bit was something i was g- genuinely completely ignorant to i didn't know about any irish people being in barbados at all until i lived in london believe it or not so i found out in 2014 which is a year before he wrote this article and the guy who taught me this this will make you laugh i, w- I joined this gym around the corner from i was living in quite a uh, a rough area for want of a better word in south <laughs> tottenham and there was this like meathead gym around the corner yeah. and i was the only white guy there and it's like big caribbean influence um around there and all the guys in the gym were huge and i got i didn't really know many um exercises and stuff and i signed up to uh, i got this personal trainer basically He's cash in the hand no problem i look at wes was his name i swear to god andrew he was a fucking rhinoceros he was <laughs> huge he was he had muscles bulging out of his muscles like he was massive and uh he was kind of eyeing me up the first time he like we, we got on and then this i'll never forget the second session i was in the middle of struggling lifting awake you know weight kind of you know pushing it up kind of uh, wobbling away and he was like so you're irish and i was like yeah yeah and he was like oh I'm Irish too, and I—I nearly dropped the weight in my fucking face, <laughs> pissed myself laughing. I was like, "Would you shut up, Wes?" Taking the piss. He was like, "No, no, I am. I'm. Uh, my name is Wesley O'Sullivan." And this guy is black as the ace of spades, and he's proceeded yeah. to explain to me that he's from the Caribbean, and uh, that, and he's, and he's, uh, he told me that the Irish were slaves in um, in uh, Barbados. Now, this is what this uh, this article is so fascinating is because. Slave is a word that is probably thrown around too easily, and it's it's it shouldn't be used in this terminology
0: for sure. I think the the article is really driving home the idea of actually using the words that are meant to be used for the certain situation, and whether or not that's just being sort of overly anal, or yes. whether or not it's deserved. Yeah, and it, I think they make a good point of saying no, no, there is definitely a difference between what the Irish were doing over there and what was
1: yeah. Which the guy who, who wrote the who wrote the article in the Irish Times was not. Uh, how do you say he was not defining the difference between being a slave and what the what was happening with the irish he was going this is um you know uh academic quibbling he called it yeah which there is such
0: a thing as academic quibbling for sure
1: but that's not it <laughs> no yeah yeah so because he's saying as being a slave is being a slave and that's it and what the what the europeans and the irish slave well sorry um indentured servants had to go through was the exact same thing but it's not is it no not at all um so talk to us a little bit about that what was the difference between what the irish were going through and what people from africa were going through in the caribbean at the time
0: well as far as i'm aware and as far as it comes across in the article they were well first of all they were paid (laughs) 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 it was true it was temporary at least on paper Um, and there was a chance that they could be sent home afterwards yeah and uh, also, Ireland is considered part of England at the moment, at that time. Right, yeah. You know, they're not separate, per se. So, it's bringing over of, sort of, the citizens to populate these uh, colonies. Now, you're seen as second-class citizen or whatever, but in terms of, for the British perspective, it makes sense, if you, you know, you need a working class, so why not import them? Yes. Um, now, obviously, the way they were treated was awful, but there's definitely you know, a difference between being dragged from your homeland in Africa and taken across to the Caribbean and forced to work than being brought over from Ireland and being paid and given a temporary contract, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And the, part, I mean, part of the, like, the terminology, for example, is like uh, c- colonial servitude was what they called what, what, the, what the Irish basically had to go through. Yeah. Was, which was meant it was contracted work, they, it wasn't, now there is plenty of stuff in this article as well that said like they weren't in the nicest conditions, they weren't working in the best conditions, the Irish that is, but that's different to chattel slavery. Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, they they had b- below human rights is what it says in this article that the slaves had in compared to the Irish, which were, they were in servitude. They did a, a nicer type of work. They were paid as you, as you said as well. Um,
0: and they're able to, if they're treated poorly, they can complain. Yes, and sometimes the claims pay off, and you know yeah. they, they are recompensated for it. compared to the conditions of the slaves. Yeah, and to just say, oh, they're the same thing. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, you, you need you need to look into the nuance of it.
1: There's and there is that. Like I was I was shocked to see that um on like this is this narrative of the Irish being slaves is up on murals on the Falls Road in Belfast. Of I'm going to forget the the most famous slave. What was his name? Frederick was it? Um, <laughs> He wrote a book basically yeah. <laughs> the life of a slave but they had a, they have a mural of him in Belfast as the greatest slave ever and kind of they're they're selling that narrative that he's you know part of the not the Irish struggle but like he's the same as us you know we went through the same thing it's just not true
0: Yeah it's it's grabbing a narrative that we don't need Yeah and you know just using it for your own good which is kind of sinister and yeah. it's really common there's a website that I absolutely hate called irish central i don't know if you've come across it i haven't no it's an irish american very american sort of um take on things and they do these little articles like you know the top 10 most hated men in irish history oh, <laughs> and they they, they 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 really like this slave narrative and they'll bring it up as often as they can and in their little top 10 most hated people in irish they have cromwell and yeah they mention you know the whole drawda situation but the really thing they push is, oh, we brought so many slaves over to the Caribbean, Irish slavery and all that jazz. and Yeah. It's just wrong.
1: It, it's, sorry, I'm just trying to look up this guy here. I, I've forgotten his name, Frederick. Jesus, I'm terrible. I've forgotten his name now. <laughs> Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to <laughs> He's like the most iconic slave. Well, I'll find him before the end of the podcast. But, um... Yeah, that so it's, so it's a dangerous narrative because it is kind of like a white supremacist kind of thing is starting to go around because the white supremacist guys are preaching now in this day and age that white people had it worse than. Then the black people is essentially what's going on in modern day culture, and they're using this as their narrative to kind of go, you know, we, you know, we had it as bad as, and and they're accusing, in fact, people in the states of from the black community that they're upselling their slavery, that it was worse than what we went through.
0: Exactly, and you've got them using this, all the, you know, the Irish had it much worse, and telling these, you know, black uh, activists that you need to consider the white angles. Like, no, we went through a completely different experience. Yes, you know yes, you should recognise what the Irish went through but you can't use it to diminish what the African community went through that's insane
1: yeah, and they they are using like even little things like I read in this article that if an Irish person in the Caribbean in the 1600s found one of the um, I'm not going to use they have it written here but the N word basically that they used to call them um, back in those days if they found one of them robbing something from somebody else they had the right to kill them yeah like that's and, and and normal rules, normal law does not apply in that situation. You don't you don't serve any time. You don't get a sentence for that. If you catch a black person robbing something, you can kill them. That's your right.
0: Yeah, it's it's the kind of equivocation of like they're almost treated as like you know livestock, which is
2: yeah.
0: awful. Yeah, and the Irish are implicit in that, and yeah. they're considered not livestock by comparison. Yeah. So it's it's really grim. And really concerning that, you know, as you said, white supremacists are deciding to take this and run with it. Yeah. So do do you find, do you
1: work a lot of that in in your work when you're um, talking and studying and writing about history? Because you're working on the relationships between Ireland and the UK now in your PhD, isn't that right?
0: Yeah. My PhD is looking at the British Army in Ireland during the penal laws. Okay. uh, Which is its own (laughs) sort of hornet's nest. Um, But... A lot of the traditional narrative is that the, you know, the army is in Ireland to suppress the Catholics and, you know, to convert them all to Protestantism and to bully them and, you know, take every opportunity they can. And it really isn't what they're there for, it seems. And also a lot of the army was Irish.
1: Right.
0: And they're not supposed to be, but they are. Yeah. And presumably they would have had fairly good sympathies with, you know, the the people they're around too, so… It's a different sort of story as to the, what they like talking about. Yeah. So what was going on at
1: that? What were relations between the Irish and the, English, and the British like in those, in those time, during the penal laws?
0: Okay, so you have to go back to, I suppose, to the Battle of the Boyne. And you've got William of Orange coming over to Ireland, beating James II on Irish soil. And then James II flees to France.
1: Now, remind us of who all the sides that they are on again. William of Orange.
0: Okay, so he's, a, he's Dutch. Yes. He's brought over to England. Uh, to take over from James because James is Catholic and has just had a Catholic son.
1: Right. Parliament And does, James is King of England. Yes. Yes.
0: Parliament doesn't want to have a Catholic secession. They don't want to, and to continue with Catholicism constantly, you know? Right. So they... Big
1: politics there. So they, they want to go into Protestantism, basically.
0: Yeah, so they think who's a good, strong Protestant ruler? The Dutch are doing pretty well. Hey, William, do you want to come over and be our king? and william says sure wow so he what an offer <laughs> exactly it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity fascinating <laughs> i did not know that's the way that happened so william obviously he's like hell yeah i do yeah <laughs> he comes over uh he um he brings his army over they they march up uh to london james bottles it uh he brings his army out but then realizes i'm not cut out for this and he flees to ireland oh wow uh, because he had a guy called townsend in ireland and Townsend had been making sure that Ireland was very supportive of the Catholic cause. Right. He'd been putting a lot of Catholic officers in the army in Ireland. Right. And he'd just been changing the administration quite, you know, subtly. Yeah. So it's quite a hotbed for James. So James flees there. William obviously follows him because it's not good for your new king to have sort of this weakness, weakness of another king. Leg- yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it would detract from his importance. So he chases him over with an army that's... I mean, it's officially Protestant. Yes. But it's made up of Frenchmen, Dutch, yes. Irish, English. It's okay. got this whole conglomerate.
1: It's basically William versus James. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, it's those two sides. It's not Ireland against England. Right. It's not Unionist against... <laughs> it's very not Ireland against England, because James is essentially the
1: ex-king of, ex-king of England at times. So it's England versus England, really. Exactly. Yeah. It's,
0: it's a proxy war. Like It's yes. just being fought on Irish soil. Yeah. And the Battle of the Boyne happens, uh, which is, you know... We, you know how that goes, where, yeah. you know, William wins um, the victory carried by Dutch soldiers, not Orange Order, but, you know, that's aside. Yeah. <laughs> James flees, uh, flees to France and a lot of... Irish so he wins the battle, but William wins the battle, but James still gets away. Yeah, exactly. Jesus,
1: he's, he's good at running anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, he just keeps on going. Yeah. And he, when he escapes to France, uh, a load of Irish follow him and set up sort of a second court so there's like a court in exile in, uh, oh God, I uh, can't remember the name of the town. Uh, it'll come to me. And in France. In France, anyway. Yes. And Williams cemented himself as King of England. Right. Now, he spends most of the rest of his life in the Netherlands, sort of not really caring about England. He's oh. done it now, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. I'd much rather live Whatever. at home. <laughs> yeah, live at home. It's a bit wife. like
1: Hitler in World War Two. like he was mad to go to Paris they conquered it he goes for, for a day and never returns <laughs> yeah
0: photo in front of the Eiffel Tower going yeah, home that like. was literally what he did yeah. <laughs> yeah that's all you need but Ireland's now in a situation where on the on the face of it it's supported the old king yes and all the Catholics are supposed to be at least supporting the old king and this is bad because you can't have an entire country of anti-Williamites so what do you do you put an army there Right. You put 12,000 men there, um, set them up in very nice barracks and make sure, you know, the, the living conditions are good. And they're there to make sure the Catholics don't rebel. Right, They're not there to try and convert the Catholics. They're just trying to keep everything peaceful and under control. So where did they set up? All over? The All country? over. Yeah. yeah, Mainly in Dublin. Right. Um, there's also big garrisons in Galway, Kinsale cork like it's focused in the cities but yes. there's these barracks are set up all over the place mm-hmm. a lot of um, inns you might find just scattered around ireland these days are all barracks right that have been repurposed okay so there's this huge network and the army's brought in and they're told you can't recruit irishmen because you can't have catholics because if you sign up to the army you've got to sign a piece of paper that says i support the king and that's anti-catholic okay and you're not supposed to recruit Protestants because we need all the Protestants we can get on our side. Right. So we can't make them join the army and then accidentally ship them off to the Caribbean or Europe or wherever the army is needed. So while this war is
1: happening, um, what, well, well, sorry, the aftermath of this war and the English armies coming in and setting up barracks and all that, this is the same period that people are being sent off to Barbados and all that? This the is Caribbean.
0: about 50 years after. 50 years after. Okay, yeah. right. yeah. So the Caribbean incident, I suppose, was Cromwell. Right. So he's about 1640s. Okay, okay. And this is 1680s. Right. 1690s. And so are they still in the Caribbean or
1: they're yeah. still running it? Okay. But yeah. They're just not shipping people over as much or?
0: As officially, no. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, which is, a, yeah, well, perhaps they are. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so the army's being, you know, established here or whatever. And the, what you call it? Yeah, the Irish government, sorry, the Irish parliament, are the ones paying for the army.
1: Oh, controversial. So people's tax, so Irish tax money is paying for the army and all their barracks and all that kind of stuff that are are, are set up and they're there to control them. Yeah. Oh.
0: Yeah, and it's completely run by the Irish. The English don't really, aren't able to have as much input as they want. They've got to go through the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland in order to actually, you know, take any men out of her. Have any impact in this it's its own thing it is the army of ireland yeah so how is it there to beat down the catholics and suppress them and everything if it is the army of ireland you know so the, so those
1: 12 bars that are set up they are still called the army of ireland but it's still under the crown basically yeah okay right yeah
0: it's like a sister sort of project
1: and is there still a tension between then the irish the irish people who aren't part of all that like the, the irish catholics other are the rest of the country they're still looking at that going don't fuck yourself, basically, kind of thing.
0: That's sort of what I'm looking at. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's the angle I'm really approaching, is the, the the experience of the soldiers and also the experience of those under their rule. Right. And as far as it seems, it's a fairly relaxed sort of relationship. Okay. Most of the stuff the army does isn't... its is taking down, like, whiskey distilleries. That's right. <laughs> you know... Which is a shame. Yeah, that's I good. mean, really, they are the villains of the piece. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So it's this minor, like petty crime sort of thing. They they do riot control, I guess, but the riots are usually gang violence. Okay, because there's this big gang war in the 18th century in Dublin, right? Between um, the north side and the south. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's the it liber- never ends. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Liberties, and I think the other group are known as the Ormondists. Right, and
1: they From have the Ormond key exactly. Knows. Okay, right. Yeah. So, oh, so that's very close. That's all around here then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I also
0: noticed you're down the road from Ockham Street. Yes. I used to live there. Yeah. Massive battle. Hap- is named, that's named after the Battle of Ockham. What? Yeah. What was that battle? That was the sequel to the Battle of the Boyne. That, right. That ended the war. Um, That was the biggest battle on Irish soil with the most casualties. Happened on Ockham
1: No, not on <laughs> <Street>. <laughs> Yeah. So who was
0: Ockham or what was Ockham? Ockham was, well, William and James have both left at this point. Yes. And they've left their armies in charge of other people. And Ocrum was the final defeat of the uh, like uh, Catholic cause, the okay. Jacobite cause, I suppose, in right. Ireland. And it's brutal. Uh, they're still turning up bones from it like up, up until quite recently.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. And where did that happen?
0: Uh, wherever Ocrum is. Okay, Somewhere in the middle of Ireland. <laughs> okay, right,
1: okay. So the bones from uh, coming up in bogs and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So there's so there's gang stuff happening in Dublin anyway yes. at that time.
0: Yeah, back to the gangs. Uh, and what would happen is the the gangs would fight against each other and then the army would turn up to say stop and then the gangs would unite and turn on the army. Right. Uh, or What are they Do you know what they're fighting over the gangs at the time? Just land territory. Right. Um one, assin- one insulted the other. Okay. Uh maybe a gang raided their favorite like whorehouse or whatever. Yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's all really sort of gangs in New York sort of yes, stuff. Yes, okay, okay. Right yeah.
1: So they, they So they they Join teams Basically Yeah And they start fighting back Against the Against the The Irish army essentially
0: Whenever the Irish army Turns up
1: yeah And okay. they've got these
0: Set battlegrounds Where they love fighting So right. um, Lower Abbey Street Was a big one
1: Wow well, This kind of still is Isn't it yeah. <laughs> Depends on what time of the day you go down there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's on my route home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, right. So lo- so they just meet up there and fight with the with the Irish army and all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness.
0: And the army are quite bad at dealing with these things. Right. Because they have no riot training. Ah. So their idea is they turn up and they read the riot act, which basically says, if you do not disperse, we'll open fire. Right. And they give them 10 minutes.
1: And they're um, all like, army
0: And then they start opening fire.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. So on, the, on that front, there's definitely some tension between, between the Irish, well, Irish slash British army or whatever yeah. versus the, the Irish Catholics. But other than that, it seems quite cordial.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of cooperation even. Yeah. There's a very famous incident where the army comes down and raids a meat market. Right. And everyone thinks, oh, this is the army, you know, laying into the, the local population. But that meat market was undercutting the people that the army... You know, we're supporting and buying the food from normally. Okay. So the citizens requested that the army go do something about these guys who right. are ruining their market. So they okay. just go in and destroy it for them.
1: Okay. Right.
0: So there's again always layers to these things. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So it's
1: not. So they. Yeah. They worked. They worked in favor of the people there in, in that one and looked after them there. In that yeah. Thing. Exactly. They're like a union in that case there. <laughs> yeah. The strong men of the union. On, unofficial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Irishman basically. <laughs> like yeah. De Niro type stuff going on there. Well, like, I don't want to come across as saying, oh,
0: everything was peachy and rosy. Of not. it wasn't and a lot of the English soldiers who did serve here didn't enjoy it they thought it was beneath them and oh, right there's some accounts and stories and books from English officers who are over here and they are so pretentious like they come there's one chap who comes here and he, his idea of a great evening is to go to an Irish sort of castle where there's a local myth that the, you know if you sleep in this room, your fingernails will fall out and this Irish ghost will descend upon right. you, a banshee or whatever. Yeah. So he spends the night there right. and writes in his diary, told you it was fake. <laughs> like, right, okay. This kind of thing.
1: Um, so he just like debunking a lot of Irish culture just for the sake of it.
0: Exactly, just for yeah. the crack. Yeah. He t- tells the story of St. Patrick and thinks, well, this is obviously nonsense. He clearly okay. didn't do this. Right, okay. Um, and this is in his private memoir as well. These aren't even in letters. So it's just him taking great pleasure in putting down who, who was that he was a guy called um, Octon uh, he was the son of a Cambridge academic he spent time in Cambridge then he sent over here uh, as a major I think in a, in a regiment he spends most of his time hunting and shooting and fishing he doesn't yeah. do any actual military work Yeah, and eventually he shipped off to Europe and he actually has to fight there, so presumably it's a bit of a wake-up call. But Ireland's like a gap year for him.
1: Okay, right.
0: <laughs> Ireland, the gap
1: year. <laughs> right. Wow. Okay. So it's, so it's those so things aren't necessarily rosy, but they're definitely you know they're not as you know us versus them and they are complicated because the sides aren't clear either it's not clear Irish versus clear british at all no no not at all and you will get irish and are any irish people in the
0: irish army at all yeah absolutely Does there is as well okay yeah and there's a, there's a letter set that goes back and forth from a guy called de la Chirot, who's, um his family are french protestant right they moved to northern ireland and he was born irish so he's yes. grown up there he joins the army but his his family aren't very wealthy or at least he isn't. So he's constantly writing to his dad saying, listen, can you spot me? I can't afford to pay my men.
1: Right. <laughs> I need to
0: buy them new uniforms. Do you mind if like, <laughs> can I can have a bit of pocket money, please? Yeah, okay.
1: Oh my goodness, right.
0: Uh, so you do have Irish in the the army as well. Yeah. Um, and usually they're Protestant. Sometimes they're not. Um, but it's it's just seen as this is a thing. Might as well go with it. And the 18th century is comparatively quite peaceful. Yeah. I mean Cromwell is the century before yeah, and the big war the Williamite War the, the, with the you know William of Orange at the century before in the 1600s yeah. yeah and then 1798 happens at the end of the century and you've got the Duke of Wellington and the famine and everything the century after so yeah, yeah. Com- things aren't too bad yeah like, what happens in 1798 uh, there's a big rebellion in 1798 um, it's the f- sort of the United Irish sort okay. of um, Wolf Tone that kind of thing right uh, really coming together giving a good go for Irish independence. Um, Actually, cheeky aside, if I can. Absolutely. um, So that's the first time the Irish fight under the green banner with the harp on it, which is sort of the symbol of Irish nationalism. Yes. But the first man to introduce that as a flag in Ireland was Oliver Cromwell. (sighs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's the descendants of the people that Cromwell gives land to that rise up for the cause of Irish nationalism and they're thinking well what flag do we fight under well why don't we fight fly fly under the flag that you know great grandad fought under okay with Cromwell like, all right let's go for this green flag and let's put a harp on it so it was, Cromwell used that flag he used or? a green flag yeah okay right so the green represents sort of the Garden of Eden and that sort of rejuvenation which was because he thought his invasion of Ireland was almost crusade yes. like yes I'm going to deliver you know, got this region from these awful people. Yeah. These Catholics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he thought, we'll march under a green banner.
1: So he was the one who created the whole, the the, the, the green idea of Irishness, basically. It's yeah. Cromwell Cran- has... Wow! So it's invented by an Englishman, basically <laughs>
0: the most hated Englishman, the, yeah. the mo-
1: as as uh, per that um, that list. Yeah. So yeah. green, the green of Ireland, as a symbol of Ireland, comes from Cromwell. Yeah.
0: Well, it's it's a tenuous link, but it's definitely there.
1: Yeah. yeah. Jesus. And so, and then it was the
0: people that in 1798, those people that worked under him, or. The, uh, they're the descendants of the families that Cromwell put in place. Okay. So Cromwell takes loads of land from the Irish yes. and gives it to loyal so- soldiers of his. Right. And a lot of it isn't given back. So these families are very important, uh, but they become very dissatisfied with how the English government is treating them. Right. So they think, why don't we rise up and try and...
1: So these are the ones that were given the land from Cromwell?
0: 150 so years ago.
1: They did. They get fed up of, of their own... Okay, right. Yeah. Wow. And so they rise up against the... And and they obviously lose.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, quite badly. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when the Act of Union is signed, which makes Ireland and England the same thing. Right. Uh, Because originally there were two separate kingdoms, the Kingdom of Ireland, Kingdom of England. But then after the 1800s, they come together as just the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. And then later, further down the line, you've got, you know, Irish in War of Independence and all that, which yes. changes that. Yeah. But uh, it's that war that sort of glues them together.
1: And so, at that point in the 1800s, when they are made into one country, one state together, and the famine happens, yeah, and they which they didn't give a shit basically at that time about the Irish. Um, that was that was an that's interesting, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a bit of an oversight on their part. The famine is so. Uh, it, There's a whole debate about whether or not the famine is genocide. Right. And it's quite controversial one side or the other. Uh, People still aren't exactly sure how to define it. There's so many books written about it. From my own limited understanding of it, because it's sort of after the period I'd look at, I don't know if it... Would you consider neglect genocide, I guess? Um. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a big
1: question, isn't it?
0: Because I don't think the British necessarily planned to have it happen, but it was really convenient for them to have it happen, and they let it happen. Yeah.
1: So, it, And they didn't help people that either that were, you know, any other food was just taken away from them.
0: Exactly. And this is the idea of historical nitpicking and, like, <laughs> you know, the definition matter. In this case, it kind of does, because you're accusing them of something quite serious. Like, yes. And obviously the British did it under, like, churchill orchestrated the bengal famine Mm. so it's it's in character for them to be doing this yeah it wouldn't be beyond them yeah that's for sure but does it apply here Uh, i don't know
1: i don't know if you've if anyone's out there read a blind boy bow club's new short story book i think it's the second maybe the first story i think it's actually the first story in the new book is set in the famine yeah and wow it's uh what a story it's it's amazing basically follows these characters who um, find dead bodies and, and eat them to keep them going because they have, and it's like, and the first character that they find, I don't, I'm, I'm fucking ruining the story and everybody <laughs> should read it, but um, is a priest. They, they're actually, they weren't looking for the dead body, but they find the priest, and they, but they're, they're looking for him to go to, to mass basically so something, they can't find him, they go looking everywhere and they kind of know he was dead, but he must be somewhere around here dead and they, yeah. you know, they, they basically open him up. It's, it's grim.
0: Well, Black Forty Seven. I don't know if you saw it in this. I did. My
1: friend made that film. Actually, I haven't. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. I haven't. Um, loads. Of my mates were in it, but yeah, Lance is a good pal of mine. And uh, I have. Se- I haven't seen all of it. No.
0: It's really good. Yeah. I think yeah. that does a really good job of as a setting. Like they nail it. Okay. Um, it's got everything about it seems to be fairly correct. It's not overly sort of Brit bashing. I guess. Yes. Okay. But it just portrays things as they were. Yeah. Points out the issues and lets the audience
1: decide. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's it, it was a new, he was saying that like it is unusual. Like people haven't really it's not been documented that much really, or nothing's been made of or talked about much at all in, in Irish culture, which is interesting, isn't
0: it? We just know the famine was bad. Yeah. But we don't know how bad it actually was or what the ratios yeah, with it not, were.
1: Yeah. There's the Tommy Tierney came out with a fascinating quote recently, which I think he's not he's not wrong, maybe. He's like he reckons we still haven't gotten over the famine as a as a culture because You know, generation after generation after generation, these little things, you know, these little memories that you still have in your body, they still, they carry on from generation to generation. And you don't know what that, you know, pain or negativity or necessarily is about, but it just carries on from you know if, if you're if your dad had a fucking bad time in the famine then his son and his grandson is going to know something about that you know what i mean or yeah have some kind of an attitude towards the british or whatever and it just used he reckons you still, we still haven't gotten over it. it's not that generationally it's not that far far back really you know
0: i mean it's only 150 odd years yeah a bit more like it's really not very not a long it's time really it's not
1: like, no no and like, there's there, there must be after effects going on in society from that it's it's fascinating. that's why as you're saying at the top history is so important yeah exactly
0: why is Connemara so empty compared
1: to dublin exactly exactly things like that yeah yeah
0: you need to understand why the pale area is seen as so much more developed and everything it's because that's where all the money was yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and and that's where,
1: where we were ruled from absolutely
0: yeah so what's your so your phd when do you finish your phd oh um oh so I'm coming into year two now, or this halfway through year two, so two and a half years from now.
1: Okay, so another two and a half years. Yeah. Right, wow, it's a long one, huh? Yeah. And so your PhD is going to be, like, how long is it going to be? But 90,000 words. 90,000 words. Yeah. That's a, that's a short <laughs> novel.
0: Yeah. Wow, fair play. Uh, give or take, yeah. So I've got to get on writing that, I suppose. Um, and then the dream would be to be able to turn what I've come up with into an a-, a book. Right, uh, you know, take out a lot of the boring stuff and put in Cause, accessible stuff.
1: Because for academic writing, it has to be full of referencing and all that. Blah blah blah. So exactly. Just do ninety thousand words of all of that kind of writing. Yeah, academic writing. Whew. Yeah, Jesus, that's that's tough. But then, so that, but then you would like to change it into a narrative kind of. I think so. Non-fiction.
0: I, I think it would be fairly doable because um, the it's got a lot of individual anecdotes and the like, um, and because I'm reading a lot of newspapers, uh, trying to find out. Interactions between soldiers and the the civilians—you come across with some mad stuff that happens. Really, like Like, I could probably do a you know a top 100 deaths in Dublin. Really, like like the taxi drivers at the time or chase drivers—they were lunatics. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's (laughs) changed. Like you had one who um, he just decided to throw a stone at a Trinity student in Dunleary who was on a boat (laughs) below him and kills him. Oh my god! Just drives by, lashes a stone at this chap who's just rowing (laughs) a (laughs) boat. And this is just a bit of crack? Yeah. I, oh, my God. And they have drinking contests, but it's, it's not so much I can drink more than you. It's I bet you can't drink two quarts of whiskey, and a quart is over a liter.
1: Jesus, two quarts, two yeah. liters of whiskey.
0: Yeah. So we finish it and then dies, obviously. Right. And this isn't the first time this happens. This happens all the time. Um, there's another one. There's a, there's it's a very different type of people we're talking about here. Like <laughs> it's, but, they,
1: but like there's, there's a wildness there.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Right, and it's this um, this willingness to do insane things because you don't understand the consequences. Like people know these days, alcohol poisoning rules yes. from, and they can at least, you know, you can really Google, you know, medical stuff, and yeah. even if it's WebMD, you can at least say maybe you should stop. Yeah, but back then, no. what? Are you, why aren't you doing it, you pansy? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, but at the same time, they've got a bit a bit of. You know ingenuity to them there was these two guys in dublin who want to ra- rob a shop uh, just off grafton street so they bring a cat in and then and they throw the cat at the cashier and while the cashier is dealing with the cat they steal a wheel of cheese and run out the door with it right which I suppose is cat burglary but. oh <laughs>
1: Dormen. <laughs> Dormen. Dorm- let now we see how the historical versus the uh, comedic <laughs> <laughs> crossover happens there yeah, that, that
0: joke would kill Absolutely, at a conference
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at a conference <laughs> would they like that would they oh, would that m-
0: be a much lower standard <laughs> academic lols uh? yeah they've got a much lower standard of humour at academic conferences <laughs>
1: Wow, okay, so yeah, and then maybe the argument is there to be had that, like, you know, the the British needed to come over and tame the Irish a little bit of, like, if that's the kind of crack that's going on, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's wildness that's going
0: on. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of it is very grim, you know, you do have a lot of murder and assault and that kind of thing too. A lot of murder, really? Oh, yeah. A lot of wow. people are just getting attacked in the street. There's one incident which is a bit odd where this this fellow's attacked in the street and the newspaper praises him because he was able to fend off the attackers with his sword on a stick. And you think, why is he wandering around Dublin with a sword yeah. on a stick? But I suppose, you know, you do what you need to when you're walking down the Keys, which is apparently a hotbed for this kind of crime. Unbelievable. You know, Aston Quay was not pleasant back in the day. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, but you, does it say why, why they were fighting, why
1: they were... You know why there was so much murder and stuff like that, or was just the it was just a standard thing that that's that's what happened.
0: Uh, a lot of them are just down on their luck, um, right. highwaymen, I suppose. So your Dick Turpins, <laughs> right? Uh, some are deserted soldiers, um, just looking to make their own way. Because as I say, a lot of soldiers are brought over to Ireland and they think, oh, we can escape now and do our own thing. Yeah, and um, they're just trying to make a bit of cash, a hold, so they'll hold up a stagecoach or jump on board. And, and there's a lot of
1: it because you can get away with it at the time as yeah. well, I assume. Because there is no Did police you? force. Okay, yeah. Fuck.
0: Yeah, the only police force is the army.
1: Right, And yeah. the
0: army are busy doing other things.
1: <laughs> oh, Jesus, right. So it is fucking wild. So if you can get away with this shit, so you could murder someone and get away with it easy.
0: Yeah, and snitching's really frowned upon. Okay So there's a great story It comes out of Cork I think Where this guy Keep your road shut boy (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah (laughs) Oh yeah
1: (laughs) So this guy Say nothing After fucking throwing him In the lee now But say (laughs) nothing
0: So this chap's in uh, He's in court Uh, He's being charged With theft of some kind And he manages to File his way out of his handcuffs In the courtroom (laughs) He jumps over How the, the man, who, is somebody not missing the, the,
1: the sparks going over there? Man? What's what's the sparks going on by? But then when he's fucking, at the noise of anything else. Like, do don't worry mean? about it, boy. <laughs> it's going. Keep going with court there, Keep going there, judge.
0: So he, he, he frees himself, leaps over the courtroom, and dashes out. The crowd obviously hides him, and he <laughs> and he escapes into into the darkness. And then later on, he's found, uh, but someone snitched on him and the snitch is taken to a bridge in the middle of cork and they're going to throw him over the edge but a local um that is landowner type comes and fires a blunderbuss over their heads and disperses most of the crowd and he says listen lads don't kill him so they're fine we won't kill him so they take him to a church uh, cut his ear off and nail the ear to the door
1: (laughs) because he snitched (laughs) to the door of the church yeah Oh, my goodness.
0: Like, it's wild down and there. Do you know,
1: how did they, how, I wonder how they found out that he was a snitch as well. Like, that's how the, This is the
0: thing. It, they, I think they here. just, they jumped to a conclusion. And yeah. Thought, yeah, he's probably the one who exactly, did it. Exactly,
1: like Joan of Arc and all that stuff. Like, witches and all that in, the, in those times.
0: Just like, fucking, you don't know. You're just yeah. making up shit. <laughs> Looking for a scapegoat and he'll yeah. do it. Yeah. And um, the cork is mad. Damn, it th- is. Th- th- there's, <laughs> there's a whole book called Tucky's Cork Remembrancer. Right. And it's just this guy, Toki, who just tells the history of Cork. And you have stories where people, um, like a, a man is shot by accident because five lads are hunting on Cork Key on or across, in one side of Cork Harbour, and they're shooting at birds flying like down the harbour, and they just hit pedestrians on the other side, or like, break windows and stuff. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. And there's another story where a hot air balloon lands in Cork for the first time, and they don't know what it is, and they think it's a demon. Right. So they throw a torch at it. And obviously it explodes. It goes up in flames. <laughs> and Boom. Like,
1: definitely a demon. <laughs> yeah, so yeah they, they, exactly. They definitely think it's a demon then. Jesus. Yeah, t- so this is all in the penal. This is all in the 1600s? Think, 1700s. 1700s, yeah. right. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like Ireland's wild back then. And did you notice much difference looking back in the history in those times between the difference between ad- obviously the pale was, you know, it's one thing, but versus Cork versus Galway or Belfast or whatever.
0: Because there's a bigger army presence in Dublin, it seems that the sort of crimes that were happening there were more, I suppose, there's more likely that you would be dealt with. Yes. There seems to be a higher police presence, even though there wasn't police. But when you go further afield, it does depend Cork does seem to be a bit of an outlier because there was a fairly big garrison there, but then again, so much stuff seems to happen. Yeah, they didn't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, boy. (laughs) Kinsale's pretty kind of the same, kind of quiet, a bit quieter. um, Right. But once you get into the countryside, there's also less reports happening. People are less likely to say what's going on simply because it's not worth reporting in the local newspaper or whatever. Yeah. Um, So it's going to be a very Dublin-centric, or at least urban centric narrative yeah uh just naturally
1: and when you're t- like we, so you can you can go back and look at all those newspapers they are archived yeah that's crazy they're all digitized so that's nuts like how would they, so how long were they
0: kept before they even had to be digitized like when were they digitized that's the thing i think they were digitized fairly recently like right in 70s 80s 90s so somebody's kept all those newspapers where, where are they kept i think the national library right. um in uh on Kildare street right uh, they're all in there or they could be in the national Ar- archives on belfast but they hardly save every day of, of every two every three or three or four days you get a new newspaper wow. um so the oldest one um is the dublin journal right and then there's the belfast newsletter which is a big one as well uh montgomery or neil or saunders that's it uh saunders newsletter as well right so you get these these guys who are just doing it sort of almost for their own entertainment and they've decided to sell it too right because they just have a happen to have a printing press uh-huh. uh so there's a lot of uh, different attitudes and publications the belfast ones are interesting because they only report the bad things happening down south
1: oh <laughs> down south <laughs> yeah down south right so,
0: so anytime they mention dublin it's because there's been a riot or someone's been killed or okay something like
1: that it's not that the flower show was on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And is the language the same in the newspapers like the modern language? Or is it very different or
0: Um it's not dissimilar. I sent you the yes. um, the account of uh another mullen on the on the wrong end of it. Which
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna read that out now in a sec. But um it's uh Yeah, which was kinda of, you you did have to change some of it because it was some of it's hard to make out as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah. It's fairly legible once you get used to the fact that F is usually an S. They, they use that sort of squiggly right. to represent S's. Uh, it's a bit more flowery, the language. They have these wonderful turns of phrase. Um, but generally speaking, once you get used to it, you can get, go along at a really good rate.
1: Okay. So you sent me on this interesting one from, basically, what was it happened here now?
0: So this is just before Cromwell's invasion. Yeah. And the Ulster Lords were very unhappy with the way Ireland was being run. So they rise up in rebellion in tandem with other lords around the country in the 1640s uh they try and take dublin castle it fails and the civil a civil war happens in ireland that's happening at the same time as the civil war in england Uh, on one side you've got the catholics i suppose and they form the confederated catholic states which is based in butler house in kilkenny so it's known as the confederation of kilkenny the Confederation of Kilkenny with a uh, key. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got Dublin sort of against them, and then you've also got uh, the English, I suppose, coming over. So you end up with almost three or four different sides on this work. It's very complicated. Okay, But the initial period, lots of Protestants and Catholics start massacring each other because it's sort of a free reign. Yeah. And as a result of these actions... Later on, a lot of them write these things called depositions, where they explain what happened to them, and they're looking for sort of a payback from the state, saying, right. well, you didn't protect me, can you at least give me some recompense? Okay. And this is one of them. Uh, I just searched your name. And <laughs> <laughs> is that what you did? You searched my name? Search
1: Mullen. The right that, spelling and everything. Yeah. The examination of Granny Nee Mullen of the inch in County Down widow taken before versus the 25th day of May 1953. And um, which is interesting because my um, grandfather was born in Warren Point, Peter James Mullen, which is County Down as yeah. well. So, you know, it could be the same crowd. Although he was Catholic, so... Does that does, yeah? Does that, does that mean they swap sides sometimes or could, ha-
0: could have yeah yeah. yeah. Or maybe it was just safer or pretending to be on one side than the other.
1: Yeah, Granny Nee Mullen, aged twenty eight years of age, which is very young for a granny, um, <laughs> <laughs> or thereabouts. It could also be Grania. Oh Gr, oh sorry, it could that be, that, okay. Because
0: I'm not sure either. Um, uh, right. um, but like because it's they're written for like the English. Okay. side of things so it could be Grania, but okay. it could be Gráinne either I understand what you're saying so because they wouldn't
1: the English wouldn't understand the spelling of Gráinne they'd yeah it. okay um uh, so Grony y Mullen aged 28 years or thereabouts sworn and examined said by virtue of her oath that John Irwin sometimes her neighbour
0: which is mm. what the fuck <laughs> is going on there he was a roving man is he, yeah, yeah.
1: is he staying with somebody getting the lone parents but he can only he can't stay more than three days that's what's going on <laughs> dreadful tenancy rights back
2: then
1: <laughs> um, so said by virtue of her oath that John Irwin sometimes her neighbour came to the dwelling house of Edmund of milan's which I presume was her house I Yeah. Don't know with a party of scotch soldiers on sunday morning what are they going a load of him and a load of soldiers to turning up on a sunday morning uh, on the 2nd of february 1642 and some man wife and child only taken by them Evelyn Fitzmoynes and Mary Mullen who I have relations with Mary Mullen my, I think it's my great grandmother I think anyway uh, Mary Mullen and her daughter this examinant said that she's, that the said John Irwin drew his sword and wounded the said Mary in her head and cut her finger on her forehead at which time she cried dear John do not kill me for I have never for I never offended you <laughs> it's a bit late you know, for that, at that it's point. a bit yeah it's a bit <laughs> dear john do not kill me imagine saying that i'd be like fuck off john you cunt <laughs> but she's like dear john do not kill me for i've never offended you thus repeating three times mm-hmm. right he didn't hear her the first time clearly he trusted her under her right he trusted her under her right breast does that mean thrusted i don't know yeah he stabbed um, her yeah thrusted her under her right breast with his sword and then she gave up the ghost which means she died yep wow that's That's that is that's the colorful language that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So her spirit has left her. Essentially, is what they're saying. Yeah,
0: I mean, this woman has watched a relative of her get murdered, and this is the language she's using to describe it.
1: Then she gave up the ghost. Then said Evelyn, hearing and seeing her daughter so murdered, she cried. Then she said, John Irwin slashed her with his sword and gave her five wounds on her left. Her, was that ear, and uh, gave her five wounds and left her for dead and stripped her, and a good while, she said, Erwin took a mighty brone. I'm s- not sure what a brown is. Yeah, you said you said that in brackets here. I'm not sure what a brone is. He took a mighty brone of fire and puts it on the said Mary's breast, expecting she had been living. This deponent saith, by virtue of her oath, that several times before that time, they had warning from... Killer that John Irwin intended to kill man, woman, and child of that parish through malice for and in revenge of the killing of jane Jean um, Irwin and Margaret Irwin, who were killed by Thorla O'Kelly and Hugh Malimon three quarters of a year before that time, and said further that she did not know the rest of the soldiers because they came not so near but fell a pillaging. Um, her cause of knowledge is that she lay under a bush in the bog near the place where the execution of the murder was, and further, she did not sworn.
0: Yeah. So what's sort of telling there is, well, when you're reading that, it has a great story to it. Yeah. But the fact that your man has already said, "I'm going to be murdering people," yeah, he's clearly dangerous. This rebellion happens. He takes it as an excuse. Now's my chance. I'm going to try and do these things. I'm going to try and get away with them. So he's is he on the Catholic or the Protestant side? I'm not sure. well. The Scots were notoriously Protestant, yes, so I suspect yeah. he's So Protestant. he's on the Protestant
1: side. So he's yeah. he's attacking Catholics here. As far as like, oh, I so the Mullins are yeah. Catholics here. Yeah, right. That's okay. as far
0: as I guess. That makes sense. But <laughs> so, but the <laughs> <laughs> no traitors in your family. Now. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's written about ten years after. I think it's sixteen fifty. What's the date at the top?
1: And um, the date at the top is um, taken sixteen fifty three. Oh, that's really yeah. true. So she's talking about something that happened uh 11 years previous
0: yeah so how good's her memory really now i'm sure it was a traumatic experience yes. but you know did he actually say oh i'm going to be murdering these people yeah and how does she know
1: that he said that well that's obviously gossip hearsay around the town exactly right
0: And it's very easy to craft gossip from 10 years ago isn't it absolutely
1: so, well it would be in m days
0: wouldn't it <laughs> exactly what are they going to do check their tweets
1: yeah yes <laughs> wow that's fascinating. Oh, There's a, and the, oh, they, sorry, you have the original down there as well, which yeah, I won't read. wow, fascinating stuff. So these are the kind of newspaper articles that you're reading through.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And deducing from that as to what is, uh, I suppose you can't tell what is truthful and what's like, fucking hell.
0: You're just kind of teasing what you can out and pe- casting a very wide net and hoping that what you bring back in tells a fairly cohesive story. Yeah, yeah. That's the dream. And I
1: suppose it'll be down to uh, um, quantity as well, like how many of these types of stories that you do find overall will give you a better picture. All of them together will give you a better picture of what it was like.
0: And the hard part, I suppose, is I'd love to just tell anecdotes for the 90,000 words, but I have to come up with an argument (laughs) as well.
1: And what, what are you arguing?
0: I suppose the current arguments that I'm looking to put forward is that The army in Ireland wasn't there to really, you know, beat down the Catholics. Mm -hmm. It's there to keep the peace and that's their duty and that's sort of their purpose. I'm also arguing that the army was of a good quality because there's an assumption among a lot of books that the army that was based here was the worst of the worst. They're sort of the dregs of the army and they're just kept there. And as
1: you were saying earlier, they kind of didn't want to be here a little bit. Yeah. But they were still of a good quality.
0: So from what I've seen anyway, they're of a good quality. So I'm going to try and make that argument. And also the last point I'm trying to make is that the civilians in the army had a fairly decent relationship most of the time. Right. Um, And whether or not that's true, I suppose, will become more obvious over the next few
1: years. I suppose it's an unpopular argument to be making.
0: Yeah, especially as an Irishman.
1: Yeah, uh, it's kind of massively. A bit, it's sort of a Are you a Protestant? <laughs> I'm, no, I'm joking. Get out. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I mean, I was raised born again Christian, so it's like we're Protestant extremists, you know. What I mean? But um, uh, okay, but that would be fairly unpopular, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, it doesn't stick with the narrative. Cause what what we what we started but talking with at the start was that paper that those guys wrote about the the narrative that has been sold about Irish people being slaves in 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 Barbados, and they weren't slaves. That the they weren't yeah um, but that's uh, you know you're messing with the Irish identity there is what is unpopular in the narrative isn't it
0: yeah and so it's tough because military history is sort of it's it's sort of seen as a little bit childish Ru- in, oh, really? in academia okay it's like oh have you not grown up out of you know war movies and that yeah yeah which is probably fair enough yeah um, so no look- <laughs> shut up <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, so looking at the lives of the soldiers and the lives of the civilians with them is more accepted it's sort of a more modern approach than just looking at battles and battle plans and that kind of thing so that's sort of why i'm taking that angle okay um it's not what i originally wanted to do but it's something that i've fallen into doing and i am enjoying i'm getting that social side of things but it does go against the grain a little bit and that's good too because it's all about generating friction and, you know, making people notice you, I guess. Absolutely. so competitive that you need to have a good That's You, you have a
1: good angle to get published, Dorman. I see yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> You've seen through my rooms. He's getting the angles <laughs> for the content, you know. He needs to know what people want. The truth about. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Before we go, right, because uh, we uh, neither of us could could remember the name of the famous former slave, Frederick Douglass that's the one was the American was an American social reformer abolitionist orator writer and statesman so let's that's what he was first and foremost he did but he did it from, uh, after escaping slavery in Maryland um, and uh, I haven't read his book yet actually but I do want to Dave Chappelle says this is his favourite book oh. um, so uh, you know he did write an amazing book so Frederick Douglass was the guy who escaped slavery and became a statesman uh, thank you so much for coming on it's been, for uh, it's, beca- yeah. it's been an education <laughs> I think we'll do it again and we can just cover topics and sounds good you can do your own history podcast Norman surely
0: oh I mean there's so many of them out there you know is there oh there's a good number Uh, Uh, look
1: stupid people like me don't know about them come on (laughs) Norman you can do it I'm being bullied into this but yeah I'll give it a go why not absolutely thanks so much for coming on man no problem at all man